Oh, I think I can just stand out there and worship for a little while longer and that'd be just A-all right with me. I wouldn't complain about that at all. They can lead us in some worship. Well, I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to have you with us today. I'm excited that every day for me was written down in God's book before one of them came to pass. I'm glad to think that he has something to say to me specifically. That I serve a God that while he wrote the scripture and it is the word of God and it is binding to every one of our souls, I am so glad that he says I want to be your father and that he wants to send his Holy Spirit into our lives and that that spirit will remind us of everything Jesus said and tell us everything that God needs for us to know. And that's just John, uh, Jesus out of John 14. Don't take my word for it, look it up. That's just Jesus saying God wants to keep talking to you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. This baptism is not the end of anything. It's the beginning of a relationship. This isn't a ticket as much as it's an invitation to walk with Jesus Christ on this earth. That you will, you will surrender your life and you will say, hey, I will be here. Here it is. What do you want me to do, Lord? We get up from our baptism and we say, now what can we do? And there's no place that that is more true than it is in our homes in, and in our families. Often I will tell people when they're getting baptized, it's like, we can't out-teach family. It's not possible. We have children in here. We want to pour into them. At the end of the day, whether we're doing child dedications up here on the stage, whether we're doing baptisms, each of these are the beginnings of us as adults leading our children into a relationship with God that will last for all of eternity. And I want to encourage you in that very thing today. When I thought when I got married that my wife and I would have a child, I thought that would be great. We would, we would have one. It wasn't because I was, you know, part of that zero-sum, um, you know, age group that's like, we're going to, you know, like, you know, make sure that we don't increase the population of the earth. And it's like, ah, I wasn't there. Um, I had just been raised in a family where it was just like, how do you make sure you give your children enough attention? How do you give them enough love? How do you still have a life? How do you, how do you work this? And I didn't have a good example at all. I didn't. I had an example of a mom that loved me desperately. I had an example of a father that did have, does have a great work ethic, but not the kind of personal skills and parental skills. And, and honestly, I think it's absolutely moronic. Um, and I'm not God, so I don't get to choose that um, you have to go through training to learn how to drive a car. But hey, all you got to do is sleep with somebody and you can have kids. And you can do with them whatever you want for the most part. You can mess them up, you can blow it, you can, you can do, it's just, I mean, it's like, come on. You don't get it, I mean, it's like, Lord, make us go through some training or something. But nope, it's like, here's your baby. It's like, what do I do with it? Take it home, you can't stay at the hospital. That's not how it works. Um, one child turned into two, two turned into three, three turned into five, and it was amazing. Suddenly we had five children and my heart could not have been any more full. In 2003, God moved us here to this state and I absolutely fell in love with it. Since then, this is what we looked like when we came in here. A friend, a friend of mine named Sabra took us out to Million Park. I didn't know what Million Park was, but she took us out to Million Park and took our family picture. That's 2003. I had a birthday last year in 2020 and this is us now. This is what it looks like. It's like the children just kept coming. And when the children stopped coming, then grandkids stopped 
started coming. And well, in between that, uh, in-law children started coming and it was just wonderful. And I'm just telling you, we cannot hold back time. Children grow up in what appears to be approximately a minute's time and suddenly you are the same age as old people. And it's like, what the world? I don't know about you, but I can remember graduating high school and interacting with somebody that was approximately 35 years of age. And I remember thinking, man, I hope I don't ever get that old. You know, they were 35. Now I'm 60 going around um, saying, okay, 61 going around saying, oh, this is the new 30. So get used to it, okay? Because we're not slowing down and we're not laying down. It's not over till it's over. But life continues to go and continues to go and continues to go. And the children that you're putting on diapers today, you will be giving the car keys to tomorrow. And I'm telling you, it happens just about that fast. Um, If it doesn't, it feels like it does. I have grandchildren now, and I have pictures from when they were little, tiny, when they were born, and it's like, is there not a way to just keep them little for a little while longer? And there's not. And when we stop and we think about that, we, thought, we think, we can't keep them little. So this is the point. What are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with your children? Say, so, well, there's some days I'd like to kill them. Okay, well, don't say that out loud. Okay, don't say it to me personally. Okay, I have to report you. Um, and and, uh, uh, and, and just, just get help, okay? I promise you it gets better. The other day I was walking around somewhere and I saw a couple pushing a stroller, had two little babies and it was no doubt in my mind at all that they were twins. None whatsoever. But I did the typical thing that people did to us for years and years and years. I walked up and said, are they twins? And I waited for the sarcastic comment. No, just born at the same time. We just stole one from another family and they looked alike, so what the heck, you know. Um, They're like, yes, they're twins. How old are they? Well, they're three. And it's like, hey, and and the next word's out of my mouth because this was their first children. Next words out of my mouth, I promise it gets easier. Hang in there, I promise it gets easier. And I remember being with our children and being with our children and being with our children and they got to the place where they could actually have conversations with us, intelligent conversations that did not include Yu-Gi-Oh, video games, TV shows on Friday night, boys, girls, just intelligent conversations. And then it shifts, then it shifts and they turn in and then they're sassy conversations, but they're not sassy. I've come to understand this, and I wish I had a a book that would have told me this back when they were there. They weren't sassy. They had an opinion, and I really didn't care. I didn't want them to have an opinion yet. My opinion is your opinion. If it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you at that age. But we want them to grow, and we want them to have opinions. And I remember when, when one of my children said to me, listen, you did a great job. We're not raising our children that way. And I thought, well... There goes my grandkids. You know, if you're not doing it my way, there they go. You know, I hope there's hope for them, Lord. And they are doing a fine job, not a problem. And so that's what I want to talk about for the month of um, October. I want to talk some more about us being family. I want to talk some more about us being intentionally in the lives of little people around us. And, and this isn't just for parents, but listen here, I, I want to hang you parents up there. But, uh, well, I'll say this in a little while later too. It, it, it takes a family. It takes a village to raise children. You cannot do it alone. You just can't. One of the first things that you need is to leave that child at home with grandma or the babysitter. 
Okay, I know they're only four or five days old. I know they're only a week old, but man, we've met people like, well, they're three years old and we still haven't left them yet. And it's like, "Mm, you're not going to make it. You are not going to make it. Okay, you picked your spouse. The Lord gave you children. Pay attention to that spousal relationship and make that one last so your children have security in their lives. I want to read to you from Psalm 127. I'm going to read to you from this book. I happen to have it. A lot of times I've got it with me in my car, in my office, or at home. It's called a Bible. You'll find that on your phone under Bible apps under version. Um, if you want to turn to Psalm 127, I want to ring, read to you a song of ascent. This is a song. It's, it's a nice thought, it's liz, um, wisdom literature, but it's a song. We don't know the tune, but it's a song. And it's referred to as a song of ascent. Well, I'll get to that later, okay. The scripture says, from a Solomon, God put it in his Bible, and it's from Solomon, unless the Lord builds the house, its labors labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late. Toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those, that's God, the he, he grants sleep to those to who, uh, those he loves, sleep to those he loves. And then it goes on to say, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies at the gate." And that's our scripture that we're looking at today. This is a song of ascents. It's the song of Solomon. It's, when it says ascents, it's a going up to church song. That's what it's called. Ascent means we're going up to the temple. Okay, we're ascending to the temple. And so Solomon writes a song, evidently gives it to the worship team and says, you will sing this song and we will sing it when we're marching up to church. And so that's what Solomon is doing. And I don't know about you. Maybe you have a a, a Sunday song. I'm I'm a music guy. I always have music on. My wife uh, and I were doing a conference, and somebody asked us a question. It's like, how did you manage your spiritual lives with um, each other? It's like, we don't do our spiritual lives together. We don't sit down and say, I'm going to read a verse to you, and I'll tell you what it means because you're the wife and I'm the husband. We don't do that, okay? Um, We have a relationship with Jesus because we're each personally because we're going to meet Jesus each personally. But my wife will say, I can't have quiet time with Joe because he's not quiet when he's supposed to be quiet. He's loud. He's singing all the time. He sings to Jesus. He sings in the elevator. He sings in the shower. He's always singing. And when we're trying to be with Jesus and be quiet and read scripture, he's singing while he's looking at scripture. And that's where I am. Music to me is life. My wife will bump me, or uh, not long ago I heard my wife lean over to somebody and say, I'm sorry, he even sings in elevators. And she looked at me and said, you're singing again. And it's like, oh, my bad. Sorry about that, okay? That's just who I am. It sets the mood. It opens up my heart for God to come inside and, and, and begin to move me, and it gets me ready to meet with Jesus. I love music. I hop in the car. I put music on. I drive to my, uh, my, my office, or I come to church ready to worship with you guys. This is a song of ascents. We're going up. Most people sing a, a Sunday morning song that sounds like this. Let's go, let's go, let's go! I don't know what the tune is at your house when you're doing that to your children, but you're singing your song of ascent. Come on, we're going to be late. Let's do this. Let's go. Maybe your song is, where's my shirt? Where's my keys? Where's my other shoe? 
Maybe that's your song on Sunday morning. We're going up to meet the Lord. We're going to sing this song. Maybe this is your song. We're late, people. We are late. Come on. Maybe it's get in the car. Or maybe you're that husband. Maybe you're that husband. And your song of a sense sounds more like this. Your wife's in there getting nine kids ready. And you're out there honking the horn like, what's the problem? What's the deal? How come you people aren't out here already? Hey, go back in the house and get the kids dressed. You can do it. All right? I promise you, you can. One of my favorite things is new dads. I love new dads. Okay? Bless your little hearts. Okay? If your wife can't make it to church that day, you're 15 minutes late, and you're like, Pastor Joe, we have a child now. It takes me a long time to get ready. When my wife was sick and I was the pastor, I could get five kids ready. I could show up at church an hour early, and I could focus on the sermon. I could do that. And my children would sit in the front row, and they would be still. Okay? Because they knew if they embarrassed me, I probably would come down there and embarrass them. And it was like, woo! Now, I probably was a little too much for them at that age, and I should have backed off. Um, at times, we had people that were like, hey, I'll sit with the children. That's okay. But I love it when it's like, no, it takes more time. Hey, go to bed earlier and get up earlier. You can do this thing. I promise you, it is possible. And the last one is my favorite. It has been sewed into my heart. It wasn't really a Sunday morning song. It was actually a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday song. But it was the song that got sewed into my heart, and it sounds like this. Come on, team. Come on, team. We can do this. Let's go, 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 go. We don't want to be late, team. We don't want to be late. And that wasn't even an adult. That was a high schooler trying to get two more high schoolers to go down and get in the car because she or that person didn't want to be late. Okay, but they had to drive the next two to school if they wanted a car. And so that's the way we did. But what is your song of a sense? What is your song that you sing in your life to your children when you get up? I love watching some of you will post your little children when you're out grocery shopping and your child's in the back in the car seat singing a song from, from a children's church. And it just it moves your heart because they're singing that. That's what we want to do. That's what needs to happen. Solomon took time to write songs that he could sing on his way to meet God. And God saw to it that it got into our Bibles. Again, we don't know the tune. But it got into our Bibles so that we could grab a hold of them. And if we don't know the tune, what if we at least began to sing with our children I was thinking about this because I've done a lot of preaching about the idea that you need to be inviting people to church, you need to be making disciples, and I know I've, I've beaten that horse hard, but man, it's the truth. It's, it's, it's the mission of the church. But it's also true that our first congregation is the one that's at home. And I just want you to know that it's not just yours. It's when, when a family has children, a family has children because it takes a family and as we do this, I want you to grab a hold of the idea of when it comes to children, we need to look for ways to do this. If there are children in our lives, moms and dads, certainly. Grandmas and grandpas, definitely. Aunts and uncles, for sure. 
But we always took it upon ourselves to also find other people in the church that could walk alongside of our children when we were too much for our children. People that they could go to, and we trusted their relationship with Jesus. So when it comes to children, we need to look for ways to be intentional. This is what the whole book of Proverbs is all about. The book of Proverbs is about being absolutely intentional. Solomon wrote down things, and in, 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 in um, Proverbs chapter 1, he says he's setting this down, this is what I'm doing, I need you to understand this, and, and, and again, we'll see that. But he's very, very, very intentional about training his children, or his sons specifically, to be godly. And in the book of Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Okay, you may have seen that. You may have seen this scripture somewhere and you say, take your child to church and when he's 35, he'll still go to church. And while you can plug that in there, that's really not what that means. Okay, what it means is your children are all unique and different and you don't train them all exactly the same. You train up a child in the way that you see, their character, their personality, um, the, the spirit that is inside of them. Now you do mold them and you show them that athletes and artists, that orators, that um, people with administrative skills, that uh, um, happy people, that singing people, that there is a place in church for all of them but you don't raise artists to be athletes it doesn't work i promise you they gave me a baseball glove i can throw it i can play softball with you i will not be the best guy on the team but i will have fun okay but when they gave me a baseball glove and i was a kid it's like what i do with this thing and they're like well when he hits it off that thing and you pick it up and you throw it back and it's like, okay, but I, they made me the catcher. And so when the ball came and it landed in front of me, I was so afraid of doing something wrong, I rolled it back and they came and said, okay, you can't do that. See, you can't make the artist the athlete. It's not going to happen. I can have fun in sports, but the point here is that you train up a child in the way he was knit together in his mother's womb. Is he dancing in his mother's womb? Then it's okay for him to be a happy child and an excited child and an amazing child. It's okay for him to paint things, to create things, and to do things. Is he a blustery child? We had a blustery child. We had a child that when he was just a couple of years old was toddling down the hall. And as he toddled down the hall, uh, a little another toddler knocked him over and our toddler jumped up and was going to kill the other child it was just not going to be pretty my my wife got there just in time and snatched him up off the ground um, before he did anything rash um, but he became the athlete and that was great okay let him be somebody that knocks heads with people on the field and that's all right but that's what it is the actual transliteration of proverbs 22 Okay, word for word in the Hebrew, it does not say train up a child the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it. It doesn't say that. Okay, what it says is this, but we've got to translate it from Hebrew into English so that you and I can understand it. This is literally what it says. Train up a boy on the opening of his way. Even when he is old, he will not turn aside from it. Train up a boy, we understand it to be child, on the opening of his way, and even when he's old, he will not turn aside from it. What do you see in their spirit as they're growing? Feed that. Encourage that. And inspire that. They don't all have to be doctors. 
They don't all have to be rocket scientists. I know, I know, I have friends who have children that, that if they sit down and talk to me, my eyes glaze over. These kids are so smart, but I still listen, and I still try to say something intelligent. They're still long-suffering with me. There's no doubt about that. There's other children that you want to encourage along, and that's okay. There's children that can play in the outfield, and there's children that can make mounds of dirt and pick dandelions in the outfield, you know? And that's okay. Train up a child in the way they should go. So we've got to be intentional. Solomon was intentional. Second is, we need to be specific. I wish I could go back and take more time being more specific with my children. I really do. I love them. I don't know how God doesn't say, look, I need you to do this. Stop doing that. This is the next step. This is the next step. This is the next step. He says, here's kids. Here you go. And it's like, ah. And then you look back. Listen to me. 100% of us will always look back and say, you know what? I wish I would have done that different. I wish I could have. And then our children will have children because they will say, I wish you would have done that different. We'll say, okay, you have children. Their children will look back and say, man, I wish they would have done that different. It, it, it's, it, we don't get an instruction manual. We get the scripture, don't get me wrong, but we don't get classes. We don't have to sit and go through that. But anyway, so be intentional and be, be specific. As Solomon opens the book of wisdom, it's called, he lets us in on the conversations he ha he's having with his son. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't forsake your mother's teaching. They, a, they are a garland to, to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. I'm being super specific with you, boy. I need you to get a hold of this, and I love it. The whole book of Proverbs tells his son, seek wisdom and learning. Stay away from hookers and sleazy women and the neighbor's wife. They will entice you with sex and leave you for dead. Right, listen, I'm not doing that just for, you know, to get your attention and make you smile. That's what it says. Read it. And so he is being super, super specific, which gives you an insight to the culture. You think our culture is bad? Look at this culture. He's got to pull his wife, I mean his son aside and say, stay away from some hookers and sleazy women and leave the neighbor's wife alone. I think this was written in 2020. It's like, whoa, look at that. He talks to him about a work ethic and being a man of integrity. The book of Proverbs is about being a man of integrity and having a good work ethic. See? And that's important. So be specific, and then also be present. Your children will be interested in you if you're interested in them. I learned that lesson um, the hard way a long time ago. And so I tried. There were times in my lives where I saw that I would be a better father if I would just make some changes in my life. And one of the things that I did do is I let my, my brother buy me a $300 Xbox. I said, go ahead, you can do it, it's all right. And honestly, because he kept calling me saying, I'm going to buy you an Xbox. You're not going to bring that devil machine into my house. My kids aren't going to get lost on that. Only evil happens on the TV when there's an Xbox attached to it. No, we don't fight. We don't shoot people. We're not doing that. For two years I got away with that. And then one Christmas a box showed up and it was wrapped up. And it actually said, to your children. <laughs> and they opened that up and they said, Papa, it's an Xbox. <laughs> and it's like, crap. They saw it. But then I started spending time with them in another games and became interested in some of that. And our relationship changed. It still could have been better. To this day, it still could have been better. Be interested in what they're interested in 
If you want them interested in your God, be interested in their interests. It's surprising how that works. Let me make a, a little bit of a change here. God has given us children. Don't lose sight of that in your marriage. God has given you children. Children never get to be the center of the marriage, ever. You chose each other. God will hold you to that relationship more than he will hold you to those children. Children are blood, okay? You can, you can be their mama. You can be their papa. You can be stern. You can wear their little backsides out. You can be granny and go get a switch. You're blood, and they will always come back. Most always come back. I'm not, I'm not talking about extreme circumstances. They will come back. We picked each other as spouses, and we need to work on that. But God has given us children as a heritage. What you leave behind matters, doesn't it? What you leave behind matters. Ecologically, we're trashing our world, and most people are asking, what kind of a world are we leaving to our children? We're trashing it. Plastic straws everywhere. What about this question? What kind of children are we leaving to our world? That's the question that the church should be asking themselves. Are you leaving little emperors and little empresses? Are you leaving little self-absorbed kings and, and queens? Are you leaving children with silver, silver spoons in their mouths that don't have a work ethic, that don't know who God is, that go to church, but when they get home, it's a whole different thing? What kind of children are we leaving to our world? I think that's one for us parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and everything else. We'd like to think that us being on the planet matters, that it was significant, that it makes a difference, and nothing will make more of a difference than how we leave the people around us to this world. Statues are erected to significant people for significant reasons. Paintings are made of famous, brave, and beautiful people. Streets, bridges, buildings, even towns and cities are named after famous people. And we wonder, how does that happen? You know, I've often, I often used to wonder, why did God choose Abraham? And this is why. In Genesis 18, it says, I've chosen Abraham so that he will direct his children. He will leave his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he promised. And just for the record, you and I enter the picture of salvation through Abraham's promise, not through Moses' promise. We are children of Abraham, and, and Paul will even say that in the book of Romans. We enter through that promise, the promise that he made that Abraham would be a blessing to all nations because Jesus came for the salvation of all nations. Therefore, we also inherit the calling to raise our children from Abraham to fear the Lord, to raise our nieces and nephews, our grandchildren, um, to, to fear the Lord, to understand the Lord, to know the Lord. I'm tickled to death when I hear grandparents and my wife is like, I think we should do this. When, when grandparents say, you know what, we're going to have Bible school. Your parents get a break from you for a couple of days during the middle of summertime. You're going to come to my house and we're going to have Bible school. And they intentionally teach their children about the Lord and what it means to, um, to, to raise them. God has given us children as a reward. Treasure them but they joined you, you didn't join them. I won't beat this dead horse. The idea that we do a disservice of making our children, making sure our children have every single opportunity that we didn't have, and it gets kind of crazy. 
And we let our neighbors and we let the schools and we let the government, we let everything else dictate to us how we're going to raise our children. That needs to stop. It's time to stand up and say, no, you're not teaching my child that. They're not going to the, uh, the library and be a part of that. And I'm sick and tired of my tax dollars being a part of that. And at the point that you're saying to me, you're getting a little political, listen to me. Sooner or later, it's time to stand up for morality. I don't care about your politics. Stand up for morality and say no. Okay? Okay. No clapping. Okay. School activities, athletic activities, vacation activities, all consistently and regularly get put ahead of um, your part in the kingdom. And believe it or not, you're making a statement. You can tell me you aren't all day long. You can tell me you love Jesus all day long. But remember what the Lord said. You'll know a tree by its fruit. And that's what I'm after. When you say to the, sorry, to the coach, sorry, we won't be there because being with church is more important, now you're making a statement to the coach. You say, well, Joe, you don't understand. Yes, I do. I had five children. I have five children. I have five. Did they miss a Sunday in church? Yes, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Regularly, not a chance while they lived in the house. We had rules. I had two of them that were in band that actually went head-to-head with um, a band instructor. And the, they wanted to go to Bible camp. And it was the first whole week of a two-week of band camp. I wasn't even in the picture. And the band director brought my child into his office and ripped them up for going to Bible camp and finally said, is the church going to give you a scholarship to college? My child said, no. He said, well, who's going to teach the students that are coming up after you how to do their role and play their instrument? And, and he said, Papa, I promised you I was not sassy. I looked him in the eye and I said, I think that's your job. And 100% of the time, five years running, my boys came home from Bible camp, stepped into one week of state championship marching band and one first seat again before the end of the week. We can teach our children that it's okay to stand up. Here's the deal. We can't do everything. You know, we jokingly say we've got this FOMO, but we do. And we've got to decide as parents what's the, the heritage that we're going to leave to this world through our children. And I would say it's time for us to but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added, given to you as well. I could not be more proud of a young man that was very careful, tried to be very careful, not to be disrespectful. But as a senior in high school, could go head-to-head -head with a band instructor 20, 25 years older than him, four, uh, 30 years older than him, and could simply lay out a logical argument for why Jesus was more important than band. And that's the children that we want to leave. I am proud of all of my children that walked with Jesus, that weren't perfect. They were still children. They weren't perfect, but they made a name for themselves. And I would encourage you, and I'm more proud of that than anything else that they did. They made a name for themselves in the community that they walk with Jesus. And God gives us children as arrows. As arrows, yes, as arrows. People, especially moms, especially moms, cry and weep and everything when their children head off to college. 
I don't know. She's my best friend and she's going away. I wasn't ready for this day. I've got a sister that just sent her daughter off. It's okay. Don't watch this, Beth. Um, but still, you know, here's the deal. You know why we have arrows? Arrows aren't designed to stay in a quiver. Arrows are designed to be sent out. They're designed to be pulled back in instruction and released intentionally at something. And I believe it's the heritage that we leave to the world. I pray for your children when I baptize them that they will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and that many will see and fear and put their trust in Jesus because I believe in our young people. I do. But they are arrows they're entering the world. They're making decisions. If you're sending children out and they're excited, you did it well. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's scary. When they start making decisions for themselves, it's like, man, they're not ready for this. But we intentionally stayed out of their decision-making process unless they asked us. I'm not saying we didn't question a decision once in a while. We just tried to not tell them what to do all the time. We raise them to have them leave us. That's part of the goal. What mother in all creation besides humans anticipates her children never leaving the nest, the den, or the cave? But rather, won't they drive them out of the nest? Won't they kick them out of the den? Won't they stop feeding them sooner or later? And then they have to go fend for themselves? Sometimes the best thing you can do is cut them off financially so that they realize that, no, really, you need to be able to provide for yourself, and we raised you so you could. And that's what that whole work ethic thing is all about. What about that? We send them out as arrows. What can you do with them? You point them at a target, and you're, intentionally, or you're intentional. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. And night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. He's talking to Timothy. I remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. And for this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of, of my hands. See, Paul considered himself Timothy's spiritual father. Timothy had a father. He was a Greek. And we don't know anything about him except that he was a Greek. Probably affluent. But what we know is that Paul considered Timothy his son and he left him in Ephesus. He made him a church planter at a very, very, very young age. He said, Timothy, the reason I left you there was. He said, don't let them despise you because of your youth. So we know he was young. But Timothy was super intentional. Um, um, Paul was super intentional. He loved Timothy. He longed to see him. But he knew that he would spend eternity with him. It is okay for us to love our children. It is okay for us to be in touch with our children. It is okay to help us, uh, for us to help our children even as adults. And there's not one of my children that I will not find a way to step up and help some way, somehow. And I don't care the manner in which it is. I will be there for them. But we have to let them go out there. We have to let them do their thing. We have to let them 
be adults. And I think that that is one of the toughest things to do as a parent, is to look at my child and, and, and recognize they're adults. They can be different than me and they can have different opinions. How are you being intentional about sowing your children into the kingdom of God? Your own example of your relationship to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior will be the biggest testimony of that. It will. Because I can talk to them all day long. The school can talk to them all day long. But what they want is for you to talk to them all day long. They want your example. They want to see you hungry to worship. They want to see you sing out loud. They want to see you lift up your hands. They want to see you stop and help somebody. They want to see you um, handing out stuff. They want to see you serving your community through serving your church. They want to see you doing it. And then they will buy it hook, line, and sinker. One of the most powerful things ever said to me was said to me by uh, uh, my son. He was 19 years old, I think, roughly, maybe 20. And he came to me and he said, Papa, I don't want to be a doctor. And I was like, oh, there goes my retirement. I was going to live with him after I retired. He was going to be a doctor. He said, I feel called to go to the other end of the world on a mission trip. And I said, heard me say this can't you go to Indianapolis it's bad in Indianapolis they need they need Jesus and he said no I need to go to Botswana and I said seriously and I love that he said how can I say no to God I've been watching you and mama all this time that's what I want for my children whether they go across the street or around the world I want them to know the relationship with Jesus that I've had that has brought so much blessing in the midst of struggle, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sacrifice, in the midst of fear. I want them to know what it means to be able to fall back into the lap of God and know that as long as I'm chasing the Lord, He's got me. And when I'm not chasing the Lord, He's whispering, come back. Come back in here where I am. Because He's got a plan for you. And I want to encourage you in that. Listen, I know that it's not all roses. It wasn't all roses with me and my children. But I know this. God cares about your kids, and he cares that they're saved more than you do. And so when our hearts begin to break and we're crying and we see them making decisions, that man, we, we raise them better than that. We don't need to throw rocks at them. We need to draw them in. We need to pray. We need to cry out. We need to put our arms around them. We need to lift them up and be super intentional about it. We need to have conversations that are gentle and not overbearing. They need to see Jesus in us in such a way that they want some of that and not the world. But that's not the way it is always for everybody, is it? Sometimes drugs come in here. Children have their own desires. They have their own wills. They have their own wants. And it's not always your fault. Dr. Dobson said the best of parents can raise the worst kids because they have a choice. Dr. Dobson also said the worst parents can raise the best kids because children have a choice. But that doesn't mean we don't do our best and make every effort. Some of you maybe are struggling with children. Some of you are just like, I just want you to pray for my children. This is a day for that. 
If you've got children that you want us to pray for, that's what these people are up here for. We want to pray for your kids. If you've got a child that's off somewhere and you're concerned and you're scared, then come up here and and just give us their first name and let us pray with you for them. Because you know what? Children matter. They are a heritage that we leave to this world. And I want to encourage you in that. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you and praise you for the blessings that you've poured into our lives. We want to thank you for the example of baptism here today. We want to thank you for the joy. God, and when we say joy, we know it's not always happiness because sometimes, Lord, your kids, sometimes your kids, Lord, you need to bring them home. But we come to you and we say thank you. We ask and pray that you would pour them into our lives, specifically, intentionally, miraculously pour them into our lives. And God, help us to be the example they need, not in front of their face, but when we're in front of your face. But let them see us chasing after you. We love you, Jesus. And we love what you're doing in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name.